I heard the words, and I wasn't sure that what I was hearing was correct. So I, I listened again, and yes, the person said, after birth, abortion. And the terms didn't really sync with me. I wasn't sure what was really being communicated. So I looked it up, and, and there it was in the uh, Journal of Medical Ethics here in the, the United States. Uh, February of 2012, an article was published on afterbirth abortion. And the, the point of the article was uh, that you should, uh, since it's a mother's choice on the baby, let's give her a couple more days to make a, a decision on if she wants this baby or not and terminate the baby. Now, this isn't happening in the U.S. I don't know about other parts of the world, but it was an article putting the question out there and saying we as a civilized country should be discussing this about post-birth abortion or after-birth abortion. But when, when I read the article, what, what struck me as repulsive as that idea is, what we would normally call infanticide, killing a baby, they are terming after-birth abortion, was that the highlight or the biggest part of the article was not uh, about abortion. It was about disability. The article started with, can you imagine the tragedy of a woman giving birth to a disabled baby? And what if through all the screening, the doctors missed it while the baby was in the womb and the child was born with disability? Well, horrors we need to do something about that. We certainly can't have uh, more disabled coming in. Or at least we want to give the mother a chance to make a decision about a disabled baby. So let's talk about post-birth abortion or after-birth abortion. Well, I want you to know that that really bothered me. And it kind of pointed to me to some of the issues we're dealing with in this world as we have an image of God Sunday, but how does the world, how the world sees the disabled? And I got to admit, there's a bit of inconsistency because I see this article and people saying, yeah, we probably should do something and to limit the amount of disabled in this world and let's abort or, or kill but I also see our world doing a lot. We have the American with Disabilities Act where we have many more ramps and elevators and uh, doing things to help disabled to get jobs and to be better connected and, and to serve uh, the greater public. So some of those things are going. So wh where does the, the world those that aren't followers of Jesus, or even those who don't believe in God, where, where's their moral standing on what is a human? And I want you to know this is a huge issue, and we're going to be wrestling with this for many years to come, because the world is wrestling with what is uh, a human. So again, I don't want to paint the world, they're all bad and we're all good, but there's these inconsistencies that uh, allow for this discussion even on after-birth abortion. And generally, in my living in this, this world of disability, there, there's a general consensus that, you know, the world would just be better off without them. 
tried to look up some statistics. They're kind of hard to find, but somewhere between 75% and 90% of mothers who have a a Downs baby in the womb uh, abort the baby. So we have fewer... If you, know, if you look around, I saw an article, a guy said, when I was growing up, there was a good number of downs around, and we all had friends or knew somebody. Uh, we're losing that, that group. And I'm going to share this morning how much we need them, what we can learn, and how God sees them. But uh, in the world, I see a bit of an inconsistency. However, backing up to the article on afterbirth abortion, I saw consistency. And that may be troubling to you, so hang on here. But in California, a woman can have an abortion during the first or second trimester. Normally, that's up to 24 or 26 weeks. Uh, So then the baby is considered tissue, and she can opt to get rid of that tissue from zero up to 24, sometimes 26 weeks. It's okay, that's legal. She doesn't want the baby, and so it is taken care of. However, also in the state of California, we have something called fetal infanticide. And there are laws that if you harm a baby in the womb, and the mother wants the baby, the baby can only be 10 weeks along in gestation, But if the mother wants the baby and you do something that harms that, you are up for homicide. Now, I don't know if there's different levels of homicide, but there's a term called fetal homicide. So if if you're like me, you might scratch your, your head and say, wait a second, at 10 weeks, we can call it a baby and fetal infanticide, but the baby develops 12, 14, 20, 24 weeks, a mother can still abort and it's not a baby. And where it's consistent is, apart from God establishing things, it has now become that the woman should be given the, in this whole afterbirth discussion, woman should be given the right to give personhood to the baby. And they say, well, look at this. You can have abortion at 24 weeks because the woman doesn't consider it a baby. But if she does consider it a baby, you can back up to where the the baby's even smaller. And because she wants that, she is giving personhood to that baby. It is then fetal infanticide. So the bottom line then becomes the mother who establishes personhood. The point of the article was saying, well, you know, mother only has up to 24 weeks. Is that really fair? What if they miss a disability in the womb? Let's give the mother a couple days to, uh, to, to wrestle with this issue and to then kill the baby. Now, they don't use those terms, of course. Now, that really bothers me because I think, see things really differently. We'll be talking about that. But I gathered a group of college students in my home. I've been living in the Philadelphia area for the last 20 years. And by the way, I love your weather here. Thank you very much. Uh, But during our time in Philadelphia, we rented rooms to some college students. So one night we had 19 college students in our basement. And we just said, let's have a discussion about this article, After Birth Abortion. So I told them ahead of time. And most of them weren't Christians, didn't go to church. So we had a good two-hour discussion on 
after birth abortion, discuss the article, the pros and cons, the, the fears, the ooh, the what about this. However, the overwhelming, very strong consensus was absolutely the mother should have the choice to terminate the life of the baby up to two days and maybe even beyond that because what a horrible, horrible thing to have a mother or family raise a disabled child. That was the basis. That was the foundation of their understanding. And, you know, they they really couldn't wrestle with how the world sees the disabled. So I would say they would probably see the world, the world sees the disabled as kind of inconsistent. However, a good number of them would say, you know what, really when it comes down to it, the world would be better off without them. They wouldn't admit it, but what Hitler did when he killed Jews and blacks during the World War II, he also killed the disabled. And they actually had a term, useless feeders. That's what the disabled were. They didn't really contribute much. They were just useless feeders and and often the world has a very utilitarian view of a person wow this person is more important because they can do more or this person's in a coma they really can't do much i was in the philadelphia area during the terry shivo incident about 15 years ago it was a complex issue this lady was in a coma and all the things that happened before that but what bothered me was the thinking They said the husband should be allowed to pull the plug, and he was allowed, because, and here was the argument, because she can't do anything, because she's in a coma. We're not really sure what the future holds, and again, it was much more complex than this, but the argument was a utilitarian view of humanity, that the person can't do much, or if a mother's going to have a disabled child or has a disabled child, the person can't do much, let's not put that burden on the mom and on society. I think you see we have a problem. Because how God sees the disabled is quite different. And where the world might be inconsistent, I think we can look to God and His Word on how He views the disabled. Very beginning chapter of the first book of the Bible, God establishes a fundamental understanding of what it means to be human. And the verse said, Genesis 1, 27, I would encourage you to earmark your Bible, highlight it, unless, of course, it's a pew Bible. Don't uh, be marking that up. But if you have one, this is an important verse for now and into the future. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Just in case we didn't get the first, he's really establishing this male and female He created them. Now theologians wrestle, what does this really look like? We have a God who is spirit, doesn't have a body, creating man in his image. What does that image really look like? And what does it seem like? How do we wrestle with that? And many theologians said, well, because we are human, that we have intellect and emotions and will of volition, we can choose to do things. That's what... Um, makes us human. But I'm not sure that really sits right with me because some of us have a will or emotions that are impaired. Some of us have an intellect that is impaired. There's another theologian, Wayne Grudem, who wrote a really cool book, if you like reading theology. 
And he basically said, in the same way, people might say, your child really reflects your image as a parent, or boy, that's, that's your son. That's what it means for us to be human. In every way, and there's many ways, but in every way that we reflect God's image, it is in that way that we are said to be created in the image of God. Now, some of you may say, well, that's, that's still a little fuzzy for me. Well, here's where I've landed on this whole issue. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It simply means to be human. Done. You're in the image of God. You can have a poor intellect. You can have a poor singing voice. You can have other struggles. And as we have this image of God, part of the problem is we don't all reflect the image of God well because sin. Sin has come into the world and, and, and disability and many things. And it's said that we have the image of God, but it's been defaced, not erased. So it's still there. We all have some brokenness of some kind, as we'll talk about a little bit in the future, in the next few minutes. Uh, the, the disability that people have is much greater than simply our, our, our brokenness. Some disabilities are really difficult to live with. How does God see the disabled? As created in His image. As beautiful. And we struggle with that. We as humans, as as much as I live in the disability world, and that was my daughter who's up here in the the blonde in the wheelchair singing, as much as I live in that disability world, she was born with cerebral palsy, I still often find myself having this utilitarian view of people. What about this friend? Oh, I like hanging out with this person because they make me feel, or they do. And God says, man... Everybody is created in the image of God. Somebody's disabled. They can't speak. Hanging out with them might not give you all the fuzzies you want from hanging out with a good friend. That person is created in the image of God. This uh, man named Henry Nouwen, a theologian, was writing books. And he really wanted to show God how much he loved him. And he was going to write a book on the Ten Commandments and relate it more to today. And he took some time out and he shadowed and cared for a young man named Adam. Now, Adam was severely disabled. Adam couldn't speak. Adam couldn't feed himself. And he took care of Adam for a year. And he wrote a book called Adam by Henry Nowen. It's not very good. But he talked about how much he learned about God how much he learned about God from watching a young man named Adam. A powerful book, but it's because he realized that Adam was created in the image of God that as much as he wanted to honor God by Henry wanted to write these books and honor God, that God loved this Adam just as much as he loved Henry. And what what a great lesson for him, not utilitarian at all. And another thing I've discovered as I've taught a little bit here and there, God made these beautiful creatures called angels. They worship him in heaven. Sometimes they come down as his messengers. But it doesn't say that angels were created in the image of God. It says people were. Oh, I need that perspective to see people, to always see people as created in the image of God. So the world sees the disabled a little bit inconsistent, but often as maybe the world's better without them. 
God sees them as created in his image. I want to talk about the, the third little blank there, how we should pursue the disabled. So God loves them. They're created in his image. How do, we, how do we do this? If you came in early, the first three or four minutes has this picture of this great banquet in Luke 14. I'm going to touch on it a little bit here. I'd encourage you in the back, there's beyond the message handouts that walk you through a bit more about Luke 14. Or if you get the email, you can sign up for beyond the message and keep understanding what, what's going on in this, this banquet at Luke 14. But I was at, at a conference uh, about the disabled and how, how to help churches reach the disabled. And this man took a week and he imagined what this Luke 14 banquet that Jesus was talking about in 025 AD, what that would look like now. And over a week in this conference, he was painting this picture, a big, huge mural of what this banquet would look like in this day and age. So if you came in late, hang out in the back for the first couple minutes before the next service starts and watch this banquet because it paints a powerful picture. But it's about Jesus going to this guy's house. And Jesus was uh, really not a wimp at all. He was invited by this Pharisee. The guy was a bit pompous. The guy had this nice food out and these very important people. And Jesus, this up-and-coming teacher that people were hearing about, so this guy said, wow, I'll get Jesus into my house. I'll get all these famous people here, and it'll make me look big. And Jesus kind of bluntly said, um, and he said to the man who invited him, he said, when you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return, and then you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is saying, you know what? Your worldview is all wrong. You're seeing how people can pump you up and return favors for you. Uh, You need to change. He says, I love everyone. And I want them here at this feast. Now, I was raised in, in a good Christian home. But I was taught at a young age, Kevin, choose your friends very carefully. You know, if you want to grow in this world, how you choose your friends, choose those friends who are going to help you. So if you're really an academic, choose those really smart friends. And if you're an athlete, choose those really athletic friends. Well, I was neither smart nor athletic, so I wasn't sure who I'd be friends with. But the point was... Find those friends who are going to help you along in this journey of life. And I think that was really good advice. And I have to say that. My mom's going to be here in the next service. So i got to remember. Good advice, mom. Choose your friends carefully when you're going up. However, there's a time where we mature and we say, you know what? I've learned. I've gone through this training. So now it's no longer all about me. I don't choose my friends for me. I choose to be a blessing. And Jesus is saying, why are you choosing people who are going to pay you back, who are going to make you look good? If you really understood why I'm here, Jesus said, go out 
and love your neighbor. You know, we look at the Good Samaritan passage as this guy who's walking along and who is your neighbor and this Samaritan was beat up and, and this man comes and, and helps him and pays his bill and we learn to love our neighbor. I think this is that same type of passage. Who is our neighbor? Well, they, they might be hidden a little bit. And you know, all these people wanted to be at these feasts. They were all dressed up nicely. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 16 of that same passage, Luke 14, uh, verse 16. He says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant who had been, to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But then all who had been invited made excuses. The first said, I have bought a field. Uh, another said, I've bought a yoke of oxen. Another said, I've just gotten married. I can't come. So the servant came, reported this to the master. And the master says, I've got all this food. Go out. Go out in the highways. Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, I've done what you commanded me. And still there's room at this table. And the master said, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that, so that my house may be filled. Go out and compel them. Why? The servant says, I invited the poor, the lame, the crippled. But as we speculate, as we look at what was going on in society at that time, it's likely that they didn't have the clothes. They didn't have the proper dress to go to a nice banquet. And also they probably didn't feel worthy to be there. Because they were outcast. They were put aside. They weren't looked at as being created in the image of God. So they would just rather not come. He says no. Compel them to come. And this whole banquet is a picture of us dining with the Lord our Savior Jesus. And the reason we can come to the table is because he has invited us. This is a picture of the gospel that God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for us. He was ridiculed. He was despised. He was beaten. And he was put on a cross. And he was killed for us to take our sins. And for those of us who choose to follow him, we're, in, we're forgiven and invited to the banquet. And Jesus resides in heaven and he said, hey, I've given you the spirit. Now go out and compel people to come in. And a lot of times we say, well, how do I, how do I share the gospel? How do I do this or that with friends? And there's things we can learn. We had the nice story of Julie talking about how she learned how to, to share what it means to be a Christian and connect with others. But really, we're just inviting people to the feast that Jesus Christ has laid out for all of us this beautiful feast, just inviting people to come and dine. And you know what? We might not see many disabled. In the past, they might live in our neighborhoods. Now we might have homes. Or others might have them, and they don't have the money to have a nice van to get people out in a wheelchair to roll up into it and come to a church. How we should pursue the disabled is just like Jesus asks us to, to go and search them and go into the highways and byways. 
about five, six years ago, I started helping a disabled guy get out of bed and get to work. And every Friday morning, I'd go over early for a couple hours, and I'd help Jerry. And Jerry became a great friend. I enjoyed my time with him, but it didn't start out like that. Just all it takes to care for Jerry and what he could and couldn't do. And the second time I'm there early in the morning and trying to figure out what goes where as he changed positions and from bed to the wheelchair to, to the shower and then got him out. And then there was another bottle that he used for body fluids and I wasn't sure what was what. And I set it on the desk in front of him and I set it leaning and it spilled all over him. I thought, God... What am I doing here? I'm supposed to be helping this guy. And I just set things back. We've got body fluids everywhere. It stunk. We had to clean it up. This, this ministry isn't for me. And you know what I realized through that? That ministry wasn't about me. It was about serving Jerry. And, you know, I go back to the book, the Bible here, and I'm looking for, well, what about all those passages of, of self-fulfillment in ministry? And, and I can't find them. <laughs> it just may be ministry is more about self-sacrifice than it is self-fulfillment. And I realize, you know, I never did that same mistake with Jerry. Five more years clean. <sighs> But it reminded me again that this isn't about me. It's not me feeling good. And if that had happened a couple more times, um, I should continue serving. Not about my fulfillment. Because we need to pursue the disabled. Sometimes we don't get the feedback if we're caring for somebody who's nonverbal. They are created in the image of God. We need to pursue the disabled. And you know what? We also, we, we need the disabled around us. I just share what I learned about serving Jerry. But one of the key components of being a church, of being followers of Jesus Christ who gather, is there's this great global church. But also all of Branch is made up of people who follow Jesus that make up this local church. And we all have different roles. And we have different gifts. And we need each other. And we often, we're looking for those who are a little more gifted. Man, this guy can speak, or this guy can teach, or this person can sing. And the Bible says, I think you're missing what I'm teaching about when I call the church the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 and 22, we're talking about the body. I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. that, That doesn't make sense to me from a body standpoint, from a world standpoint. I want to be grow and I want to be connected with the strong. And scripture saying, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We need the disabled around us because they need to be here hearing about the feast that God has laid before us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. At Olive Branch, we have a vision statement changing everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. 
for the glory of God. The disabled are created in God's image. They are part of that everyday people. We need them. Now, when I talk about this, it's easy to look and say, okay, we need them. We need to do this. Disabled are created in the image of God. Okay, Kevin, what do I do? And I could say, you know what? We have a really cool ministry. There's a table out there called Uniquely His. And you can sign up. And we have a program where for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, you just shadow or what we call become a sidekick of a disabled kid. Child. Sorry. Um, now, some of them need a little more help than others. Some just need somebody like my daughter in a wheelchair when she's a kid. She needs somebody to reach the crayons or hand her this or that. For many, that's all it takes. For some, there's a little more specialized care. And so we're looking for people to be sidekicks. And again, there's a sign-up out there, very simple ministry, just to spend an hour during the Sunday school time so parents can come to church. But it, it, it's not a program. This isn't a task to do and say, okay, here's my ministry. Once a month, I hang out with somebody. Check mark. No, this is about loving people, about pursuing them and understanding we need them around us by serving in a way that we can't in other ways. We don't want to isolate the disabled. We want them in with us so we can learn and grow because we need them. Now, it it can take a while to learn. Back in Philadelphia for about uh, two years, I shadowed a young, we'll call it shadowing here, we call it sidekick. There's an autistic young man named Ethan. Ethan was about nine or ten years old, and I'd look forward to Sundays where I'd go, and I'd just set a chair down right in the middle of the Sunday school class. And while the other Sunday school kids had a lesson or a craft or something to eat, I would try to get Ethan engaged, but he was severely disabled with autism. He, he was nonverbal. He made a few sounds. But mostly, he was detached from the real world. As a matter of fact, he kind of had a little pattern where he'd walk around and touch the wall, especially where the texture changed or there was a, a board in his way. He would touch it. And sometimes the little kids would want to interact with him. So they'd run up and say, hey, Ethan. And he would just stop very patiently, ignoring these people that weren't in his world And when they'd finally get out of his way, he'd continue his process of touching the board and making the noise. And I was just there to make sure he didn't throw anything, didn't go play in the the water in the toilet or do anything that would distract others and have him sit down on occasion when I could. But about once out of every two Sundays, I'd have this awesome Ethan moment. And while it's not about our self-fulfillment, it was really cool. For about 90 seconds, once every two weeks, Ethan would be on his rounds, going around the Sunday school class, completely detached from reality, and then he'd look and he'd see me. And his eyes would lock on me. And I'd get these little goosebumps. And then he'd walk across. And he'd walk slowly up to me. And we'd sit on my lap. And though it was a little uncomfortable, he would take his lips and he'd press it up against my lips. And he would sit there looking at me. And I'd think, oh, this is so cool. Man, weeks where he's detached and then he comes and sits 
and, and I, I feel connected with him and in a really cool way. And then again, after about 90 seconds, he would kind of shake out of that and he would go back into his little process where he was detached from reality. And I thought, poor Ethan. And then, and then I realized that that's, that's me. That's you. Why do we exist as humans? To glorify God. To keep our eyes on Him. What do we often do? We go out into the world and we try to do little things. We touch this and that. And we thought, oh, look what I'm doing for God. Or, or I did James Project. Isn't God happy? And James Project is a good thing. I encourage you to sign up. But it's not about what we do. God wants us to look at Him. Like Ethan would occasionally connect. I realized how occasionally I'd look over and say, oh, there's God. Yeah, I can do some things, but he cares more about who I am and that I was created in his image and that he loves me. And it's not about what I do. And there's times where I just want to go crawl up and sit in God's lap and just rest like Ethan. We need the disabled around us because we can learn. Trevor, my man, right up here. I've learned a lot from you, Trevor. You know what? When Trevor sings our worship songs, he's uninhibited. He likes to move. He likes to let it rock and roll. There's other times in life where Trevor's parents would like him to be a bit more inhibited in what he says, how he acts. But in singing and worship, he likes to praise God because God's done so much for him. And what do I do? When we sing our worship songs, I'm trying to think about God And I start to get excited, and then I realize if I start to move, I look like some lanky white guy that has no rhythm at all. (laughs) And I can't sing worth a lick, and I'm more worried about what you think about me than I am about worshiping God. And I can learn that from Trevor, because Trevor doesn't care what you think about his dancing. He's going to celebrate God and what he's done. We need the disabled. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. We need the disabled around us. Finally, we need to love the disabled. You know, we can set up programs. We can learn from them. But it's not about some program. It's about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And there's a pretty pointed uh, verse here. You have in your handout here. It is up on the screen. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my feet, have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Now, I've been at Olive Branch for about a year. I have been welcomed. I've seen people be welcomed who were affluent, people who were poor or homeless. I think we've done a wonderful job here. I see disabled come in here and who accepted, uh, who have been accepted by us. But we need to be careful we don't show partiality. 
Just last week, Tim Tebow spoke at the Yorba Linda Friends Church. If Tim Tebow walked in here to Olive Branch, well, first I'd have to hold my wife back from running up and giving him a big hug. But we would notice that. Here's a good-looking guy. He's athletic. He's rich. Just signed by a very good football team. Remember, I just moved from Philadelphia. Sorry. Uh, How would we treat Tim Tebow? You know what I'd love? I'd love as the disabled come in that we would treat them that same way. We'd say, oh, I'd love to have you in my small group. Wouldn't it be cool if we were friends? We'd be willing to do that with Tim Tebow because Tim Tebow probably wouldn't say, well, I need a ride both ways. I'm a little more work than you thought. We cannot show partiality. We dare not show partiality as James uh, 2 points us to. We need to love and reach out to the disabled. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. This is a huggy church. My daughter in a wheelchair loves hugs. It can be uncomfortable giving her a hug. Just a little advice to me and from me to you. Get over it. Uh, it's okay. Be awkward. But reach out. If you don't know how to connect with a disabled person, ask them. Just, just, just learn to love. You know, we, we get so enamored with love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to be around those who can help us learn and grow. When where Christianity, where the rubber meets the road is, do we really know how to love our neighbor as ourself? Now, if we do that, the last point in your handout is I want to make this church irresistible. Yes, we're, we're building a building down near Tom's Farm in two or three years, and it'll probably have a few more ramps, and it'll be a little bit more inviting. But I think it's not about a building. It's about us. Seeing people created in the image of God. Not showing partiality, but reaching out and learning to love our neighbor as ourselves. So may this be encouragement as we wrestle with these verses and these passages to make Olive Branch irresistible to those who come, especially the disabled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the words in Scripture that point us to reality, uh, the reality of Jesus' sacrifice to us and, and what that really means for us. The reality of that there are disabled around us that we might not easily see. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see the world, see people as created in your image. And may we go out and invite them to the banquet. Thank you for all you've done for us. And may you minister through us as we are your ambassadors to the world. In Jesus' precious name, amen.